Here's the Catch is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know 49ers ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And I actually have GameTime on my iPhone so I can verify that it's simple, quick, and easy to navigate. You find the sporting event or the concert or whatever you want to attend. You could sort the tickets right there on the screen, and with just a couple clicks, you have the tickets on your phone. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, it was almost like a baseball blowout today. 9-0, to San Francisco over Washington. Except that wouldn't happen in baseball because Washington's team is in the World Series. This happened in football. This happened in very sloggy, rainy conditions. Basically a mud bowl in Washington. But the 49ers got the job done. This was one of those games, guys, where... Boy, you know, it was ugly for a long time. The 49ers couldn't pull away at all in the first half. It was scoreless at halftime. But in the second half, they turned on the Jets. They outgained Washington 215-36 to in the second half. And and at that point, it turned into a dominant showing for the 49ers, really both offensively and defensively after a certain point. The defense was great throughout. And then Jimmy Garoppolo finished 8 of 8. For 113 yards, it's 14.1 yards per attempt, which is excellent in any conditions, especially in those, in that slog. And the 49ers pulled away. And, you know, my main takeaway, Matt, is that I entered this game not really expecting the 49ers to have much of an opportunity to to prove anything. I thought this was a game against one of the league's worst teams. And, you know, it was an all-lose kind of situation, right? You either... Uh, do what you're supposed to and win and nobody's impressed or or you lose and everybody is horrified. But because the great equalizer was there in that rain and the 49ers were able to get a really gritty victory, they had mud all over themselves, that slip and slide at the end was pretty cool. Because they were able to persevere and, and win a game in such ugly conditions, I think they actually walked away from today having gained something as a team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, in the story of the 2019 season, this will be... An interesting footnote because it was such an interesting game, such a unique game, uh, the worst weather game that that I can remember in a long time. I covered that game uh, in Chicago, I think it was 2007, where the wind was blowing so badly that uh, it was hard to kick even an extra point. That was the the Nathan Vasher return game, but uh, this was uh, just as bad. They unrolled that tarp off of the, the FedEx field surface about two hours before the game, um, and even so, by, by game time, there were puddles everywhere. And you saw them on TV. Uh, there were some huge ones in the end zone where, uh, behind which I was sitting. So uh, it was uh, wet and wild, and, and the story was Mother Nature and, uh, and Nick Bosa and those guys. And uh, the, uh, the 49ers came, on, came out on top. And uh, I wondered, Dennis, whether you had any such games uh, you obviously played uh, up in Seattle in college, but did you have any games with the 49ers that were like that, where, where you're fighting the uh, the opponent and the elements? Well, you know what? I We played, 
I can't remember what year it was, but Mark Rippon was still the quarterback. But it was at Candlestick, and it was, I believe, a wild card game or a playoff game. And the field was, you know, a Candlestick field. It was muddy. It was in December. Uh, it was raining, uh, and we won the game. But I have a pitcher, you know, just coming off the field, just covered with mud. And uh, I mean, for defensive lineman, I know, you know, all you guys who love seeing the, you know, those Ferraris on the field running around. It's fun when you're a big man and you have to play football in the mud. And I, I enjoyed watching the football game. I know on paper. The 49ers are, are, at, are at the top of pretty much all categories. Uh, Washington at the bottom, and it, it didn't look much like a matchup. But like you said, David, the, the equalizer was the weather. And, I, and it turned it into a, a game that I love, you know, in the trenches. Uh, it's a run game now, and it goes back to the old NFL where you just kind of have to grind it out. And what a great job, first of all, the uh, 49ers defense, that that front, we always talk about the front, but that front really readjusted. Adrian Peterson was running straight up the gut, kind of similar like what, what the Rams did, and then just the adjustments happened. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, the 49ers just just staying with the run and, and, and finally breaking, just wearing that that Redskins uh, defensive line, line down in the fourth quarter and just kind of having their way. So... As a big man goes, I enjoy watching the game. I like seeing the guys get muddy. Shoot, even Jimmy Garoppolo got muddy a little bit. So I, I love football games like that. Yeah, I mean, I think they're probably going to throw away some of those jerseys. I mean, it was pretty bad by then. And then the guys weren't, you know, helping the equipment staff at all by turning the field into a slip and slide there uh, on the very last play. But, I mean, you, you talk about epic pictures. So many epic photos. I mean, photos that have a chance, I think, to become legendary if this 49ers team which is now 6-0, and keeps on winning. The one that you know I saw going around online, and those of you listening at home, you could search this. It's Mike Person. It was, I think, after the interception that Jimmy Garoppolo threw in the third quarter. Mike Person ran down the the, the cornerback and, and he or the safety, whoever picked it off, and he dove and also turned the sideline into a slip and slide, but he just got mud all over him and also up into his face and in his beard and... I mean, he didn't even look like a human being. There was so much mud all over him, and there's just a picture of Mike Person with that mud, just drenched with you know dirt, everything in his that's face. That's beautiful. And, yeah, that I mean, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, and, as and a, it, as a as a lineman, I mean, that's that's what you play football for. I mean, to get dirty and nasty, and you know, just again, I say I, I enjoy watching the football. It was you know nine to nothing, but it was just it was just fun watching these guys just battle, and at the end of the game. You know, seeing a team just worn down like like the Redskins were, and just watching the 49ers offensive line just get that push off the ball, and and seeing Coleman getting those 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 runs, you know, to the outside. So as a defensive lineman, I loved it. I could watch a game like that every Sunday. Could you even see anything, Matt? From <laughs> I know that the Washington press box is not in the best like spot, but in a game that's like this, it's like a rugby scrum. It, it was it especially hard in person. I know you were the one out there in, in Washington today to kind of you know get a gauge of what was going on, just because of, of how much of a throwback this game really was. 
Yeah, I mean, we should tell the the listeners that the uh, the Washington press box is notorious for being one of the worst in uh, in the NFL. So bad, in fact, that uh, it it sprung a leak today where it was uh, leaking on poor Nick Wagoner of ESPN, the guy the guy that was <laughs> seated next to me. So he had to move back a row. Uh, but yeah, since you're in one of the end zones, uh, it's great when uh, the, the action is, is, is in the end zone that you're in front of. But if they're at the other end of the field, you're, you're totally reliant on the big screen and on your binoculars. But as far as uh, visibility, uh, it wasn't that bad. It, it, there was a steady sort of misty rain coming down, but it didn't really impair the vision very much. I thought it was interesting after the game that the field was sort of part of uh, Kyle Shanahan's storyline. Remember, Shanahan really made no bones about this. I don't want to say it's a, a revenge game, but he took a lot of satisfaction in beating Dan Snyder and the Redskins uh, at, You know, after all the bad blood between uh, Snyder, the Redskins, and, and the Shanahans after 2013. And, and Shanahan continually said, uh, how bad the field was and that he knew it would be bad. It's one of the worst fields in the league. The, the field this, the field that. I mean, when you talk about an owner's field, I mean, that's a very personal thing. Oh, wait, guys, you know what? That, there's a knock on my door. I think that's uh, my pizza arriving. Ma- Excuse what? me for one second here. The, Matt's got, margarita pizza. pizza. Yeah, well, he deserves it. I mean, he, he was putting in the the work i mean we're going to continue to bash dan snyder here we'll <laughs> we'll go on the we'll go on the kyle shanahan train I, I will say that on top of the field being really bad uh the the washington press box is substandard matt's already gone through the terrible viewing angles there but the food is absolutely terrible there they 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 treat the media really well across almost entire the uh, almost across almost the entire nfl but in washington i was there 2 years ago where cj bethard saw his first uh, long action for the 49ers. He replaced Brian Hoyer, and there was some disgusting pizza in in the Washington press box. So uh, Matt Matt just got back from the hotel, uh, back to the hotel, and I, I think he really deserved the margarita pizza that just came to his door. Right, Matt? Well, there's there's a there's a there's a white wine there's a white wine included with the pizza. So uh, yeah. oh, Barganza. Yeah, this uh, this conversation could get uh, a little bit uh, more fun. Let's say as the uh, <laughs> evening wears on here. Well, the question is, did you tip the, 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 the pizza delivery person? I did. I did. A $5 tip. So I, I wanted that pizza really bad. So nothing very really good. Get, get in my very way Very good. Very good. I'm sure that Kyle Shanahan's probably enjoying a good pizza right now on, on the flight because I don't know how good the food was was at the stadium for, for the 49ers. Since the field wasn't good, the amenities for the press weren't good. The, I mean, it was all a mess, but the 49ers were gritty and they were able to get the win. And then, you know, to really wrap up uh, the, the Kyle Shanahan personal side of the story, he gave the game ball to Mike Shanahan, his father, who was obviously his boss, the head coach, who was also fired by Dan Snyder in 2013. So, um, you know, Dennis, you were around the 49ers when Mike Shanahan was there, and you know both Mike and Kyle. Uh, obviously, this this family story, but the history here with Washington, pretty cool moment, I think, to, to be able to bring that full circle for Kyle and Mike and get their revenge. Yeah, and I think the team understand it, it was full circle. But uh, you know, you, you're standing in a locker room. You got these guys with mud in their face, all over their clothes, socks, shoes, everything, out there fighting to get uh, to get those nine points, and, and defense holding the Redskins to no points. And you you give the game ball to your father. I mean, I would be a little offended. I'd be like, hey, we just went out there and and you know we gave it all. We're out in the mud. But I, I do understand that 
that it's it, it they knew going into the game what this game meant to coach Shanahan and 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 the history uh with the owner and the history with uh with 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 him and his father I, I get that but standing in front of my head coach and you know the blood and the sweat and the mud in my eyes and you give the ball to to your father but like I said I get it but still it's kind of weird to me it was weird. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Mike Shanahan was there in person. I think it was more of a gesture. Uh, we'll have to ask uh, Kyle Shanahan tomorrow at his at his Monday presser uh, how it actually went down. There, there didn't seem to be any resentment from the players. I mean, the, the storyline from them after the game was how much fun they had, how much this was sort of a, you know, a hearkening back to when they were kids and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was playing in Chicago and the weather's always bad there. And uh, Dennis mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo's shirt, uh, his jersey turning white to, you know, this dirty gray in the mud. I think he loves that kind of stuff. I mean, this is a guy who played linebacker uh, up until, uh, you know, midway through his high school years and uh, really saw himself as a gritty, defensive, blue-collar, working-class kind of guy. I think he loves the fact that he went – Back into the locker room with a, a dirty uh, a jersey that's just as soiled as Mike Persons and Tevin Coleman's and uh, Quan Alexander's. Uh, he wants to be one of the guys, and his jersey was that of uh, of one of the guys today. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he had he had a he was doing a lot of scrambling today. I mean, I think we saw, you know, even though when he gets to scrambling, I think everyone kind of takes a deep breath, but. He extended the play quite a bit. I mean, he had a couple of, of third down conversions where you just saw him kind of running down the field. And, you know, it, it looked like you know, he felt comfortable, you know, in that environment. I mean, he, he felt comfortable running around in the mud a little bit and getting dirty. So I was impressed with him on that way. Yeah. So th- this allows us to check in on what's become a huge deal on social media, which I really don't get. But uh, this is something we have to address I've taken the liberty to name it the Garoppolo Wars. There is just, I mean, an insane amount of arguing in the Twitter sphere and just, you know, amongst fans that I think is completely unwarranted about about Jimmy Garoppolo. There, there's an entire camp that thinks he's a bad quarterback. And then there's an entire camp that I think is reasonable and, and, and sees this for what it is. And he's been an above average quarterback w- paired with a great defense for the 49ers this year. And I think today was another... Great example of that. I mean, you had what seemed like thousands of people wanting to burn the the, the town down uh, when Garoppolo started today. What four of thirteen for thirty eight yards? It's obviously terrible, but they weren't even factoring in the the impossible conditions to throw in. And then they they wouldn't credit Garoppolo later on when he finished the game eight of eight for those one hundred thirteen yards. And and even early on when when the passing you know wasn't there. Dennis just said it. I mean, he he had a couple gritty runs where it was like, wow, this does not look like a guy who is coming off a torn ACL. The 49ers did not go three and out a single time today. So despite the conditions, they kept the, the, the ball moving long enough for the defense to get its rest. And then they put an exclamation mark there at the end after a bad throw in the interception. Garoppolo bounced back and he gave them the plus QB play that he's given them in essentially every game outside of Tampa Bay this year. And and Matt, I I, I know he's a complicated player to judge because he does get the wild hair up his nose at least once a game and we saw it again today with the pick but overall I think you have to be impressed with what Jimmy Garoppolo did in adverse conditions today 
Yeah, I, I feel like this is almost a toss-the-stats-out type of game just because the conditions were what they were. I mean, look at what Case Keenum did. I mean, that, uh, what was it, 77 yards uh, with only 12 attempts. So um, it, it's going to look like an outlier no matter what, just given how bad the rain was. But, yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, um, it, it was a gritty performance, and he made some big throws in the, in the third quarter there. There was one to... To Richie James for 40 yards. There was one to Kendrick Bourne. I forget how how much it went for, but uh, it, you know, a, a long throw. They're both over the middle. Uh, they both set up scores, and that was the quarter where they really, I mean, they may have gotten a field goal out of the entire quarter, but it was the quarter that they put the game away. A field goal was enough in this game, and um, you know, you also had to note that. You know, just like uh, previous game, there was no Kyle Juszczyk, there was no Joe Staley, no Mike McGlinchey. There was also no Debo Samuel and no Marquise Goodwin from the, the, the first quarter on. So, you know, th- this is a guy who's not only dealing with the weather, he's dealing with half a deck of cards, really, uh, in terms of his weaponry. So, uh, not surprised that they were very modest numbers. The interceptions, there there have been six of them in six games, and that is a concern, but it really hasn't damaged the 49ers to this point, and they're they're able to work through it. Um, I, I I don't want to say I was impressed by him, but certainly wasn't uh, the storyline of the game for me. Yeah, and and you when you talk about a Jimmy Garoppolo, just look at his record. It's almost scary. I mean, I don't. You guys can can correct me, but I think he's like 14 and two, and yep. you know that is. I mean, that's. That's a pretty strong record, and now you can say that he's, you know, he's he's played an entire NFL season as far, you know, as his resume right now. And he, he's he's played in these games, and he's got a pretty darn good record. Now, I think today what you saw, you saw a little bit, kind of how the 49ers can be exposed. I mean, you definitely missed your fullback today, uh, and you missed your start and tackles today. And you also missed a real stand-up number one receiver. I mean, you got receivers, you know, a Dante Pettis and a Marquise Goodwin. Those are guys that these aren't their kind of games, running in the mud, stuck in the mud. They rely on quickness and getting off the ball fast, getting out their cuts fast. A guy like Kendrick Bourne, a big, strong receiver. You miss uh, your, your Debo today. You need that type of receiver. And I think those are things that the 49ers are going to have to look into. I mean, you need a receiver uh, in conditions like this that can get get the ball, a big, strong physical receiver, uh, and make plays down the field. And, you know, you saw Kendrick Bourne. He's he's that guy. So, you know, good for him. But, again, I think you, you the, the biggest thing you pull from that is that, you know, games like this, you need that fullback where you, you know, that those wide, you know, outside plays, you need a fullback that can just block running downhill. Well, that opens up the other part of the debate about the passing game. There's a lot of, you know, desire, I know, on the internet right now for the 49ers to acquire another receiver. There are even, you know, reports that they they may be on the market for a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. But there's the whole other, you know, possibility here in that the 49ers, I think, agree with you, Dennis, and I agree with you, too. Uh, They know that they need a big target. They know they need a physical kind of possession guy. And that's why they invested a third round draft pick in Jalen Hurd last year. Uh, You know, that's why they invested the second round pick in in Debo Samuel. But both of those guys were unavailable, as was a player like Trent Taylor, who I think would have helped them a lot in those third and four, third and five situations today. And 
I think the hope for the 49ers is that those guys all come along, get healthy in time for the really tough stretch at the end of the season. And that gives them the firepower that they need that they clearly lack right now in the passing game. So Matt, I have to ask you, what do you think is more likely here? Do you think that the 49ers go outside the building, make a move, sacrifice some financial, maybe draft capital uh, to get, you know, some established name? Or do you think that because they're six and zero, because they're still finding a way to make it work, they're going to be patient and, and they'll bank on getting, you know, the guys they invested draft picks in already healthy. Uh, I don't know what way you think they're leaning, but I, I tend to think based on how I've analyzed Shanahan and Lynch so far that, uh, that, that they're going to rely on their own guys coming back. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think they're really happy with what they have in the locker room and, and want to, their instinct is to kind of go with what you have and, and lean on the guys that are there now. Uh, because the more you do that, the more that team bonds. And it's a very well-bonded group to this point. Um, Emmanuel Sanders is 32 years old. He's probably better than anybody that they have right now, but for how long? So you do, do you give up a, a third or a fourth round pick? That, that seemed to be what the uh, reports today implied it would take. And boy, I, I doubt that when you've got a Marquise Goodwin um, sitting there as well. Uh, the, the name that sort of jumped out to me a little bit was Mohamed Sanu of the Atlanta Falcons. He's obviously somebody who's played for Kyle Shanahan. You were just talking, David, about that, that physical presence. That's what Sanu brings. I mean, his, uh, his style of playing would fit right in with how the 49ers are going about it right now. So um, they wouldn't give up very much at all for Mohamed Sanu. He must be in his 30s by now as well. But um, that would be... To me, that's the type of guy that could really round out the physical nature of, of what the 49ers have right now. What do you think, Dennis? Does this team need to make a big trade at receiver, or do they kind of go with the horses that they have? You know, in my opinion, I, I, I think it's something you, you definitely kind of have to investigate or you have to make a few phone calls and kind of see, you know, what, what's the asking price? Because if, if you look at this 49ers team, you know, if there's there's one area right now that you would say, hey, how can we take this to the next level? We're talking we're talking six and oh now. But, are, you know, we talking playoffs. We talking Super Bowls. What are we talking about? Are we talking the future. If you're talking about kind of win now in the playoffs, uh, you know, win a championship, go to a Super Bowl. I think you kind of look and see what's out there. And, and I think that's I mean. If it, after six weeks, if if none of these receivers, if your tight end is still your number one receiver, no one's really showing up. I don't think Dante had a catch today. Marquise, you know, went out the game. So I think at some point, you know, you just have to investigate and put some feelers out there and kind of see what's out there. I mean, it, it, you know, is a Samuel's the kind of guy we can bring in? Is a Sanu a kind of guy we can bring in? But I think you have to investigate it because that's that one area that you know it's just not showing up for some reason. And I think that they definitely are investigating it. That's what the reports, you know, claim. And, and I have every reason to believe those reports. And, you know, the 49ers have investigated other possibilities before, too. Bigger ones like Odell Beckham Jr. They were in the running this offseason. But the one thing that the 49ers have shown and the one, you know, cushion that they have earned with this 6-0 and start with the fact that they keep on winning is that they don't have to pull the trigger if the asking price is too high. Right? B because... It, this is a situation where they have those guys potentially coming back. I mean, well, well, I don't know 
the exact status of Jalen Hurd. Obviously, that was a big setback when he had to go on injured reserve. But if they're confident enough that he's going to be able to come back and look like something like the guy that we saw in week one of the preseason against Dallas, that that's a huge luxury to have in your back pocket that gives the 49ers negotiating power, really, if they're you know thinking about trading for a wide receiver. It allows them to be able to get up and walk away from the table if the asking price is too high because you, you see that, that you may have a guy that, that can get the job done himself later this year. So that's why I think that they won't mortgage the future for for you know an Emmanuel Sanders. They, they won't you know do anything that, that might hurt them in next year's draft. I think they're going to be very prudent and very cautious about this unless you know they know something that we don't about Jalen Hurd and Trent Taylor and they won't be back at all this year. But I think that's unlikely. I think at least one of those guys is going to be back. And in my opinion, it's going to help the passing game. But let's wrap up on the Jimmy Garoppolo thoughts, guys. That, that interception was a very polarizing play today, too. But, uh, you know, in his defense, it was fourth down. It, the return was more damaging, I thought, than the pick itself. Uh, you know, it, it was one of those where I think he was running out of time and, and he had to try to force it downfield because there was nobody open closer. I think that was really indicative of the receiver problems because if they had a bigger, stronger guy, they could just go for the first down in five yards, right? Instead, he tossed it up to Dante Pettis, ended up being a pretty bad pick, and um, it, it was one of those where the defense bailed the 49ers out afterwards, but the, I'm just wondering what you thought of that particular play because it was the biggest scar on Garoppolo's performance, Matt. Yeah, I thought it was uh, reckless all around. I mean, uh, I, I thought given the, the nature of the game, you just invent, invested a, a fourth-round pick and a punter. Pin, pin those guys, pin the Redskins down inside their 10 at that point. I, I, I didn't quite understand uh, going for broke on that uh, on that play. I, I understood why they didn't go for the field goal, given that Robbie Gold had missed one earlier. But uh, it just seemed like it was uh, too aggressive at that point. Um, you know, Blame all around to Shanahan for going for it for – to uh, Garoppolo for not looking off the safety. I mean, uh, it, it was an easy read for a young safety like the guy who made the play. And then you're right. I mean, uh, there, there was some grumbling that uh, Dante Pettis should have somehow made a stronger play on it to make sure that, hey, if I don't get it, nobody else is. Uh, and that didn't happen either. But, um, uh, yeah, you, you wonder what would have happened if this team did have a Jalen Hurd or a Muhammad Sanu and they needed five yards, or a Trent Taylor, uh, who's been great in those situations. Uh, but at, at that stage of the game, with the defense playing as well as it did, it was, with the Redskins' offense being as limited as it was, and the, and the weather being such as that it was, it, it seemed like just an odd choice, uh, an unnecessary, bold decision at that juncture of the game. What did you think, Dennis? Well, I mean, I, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, but I, I can understand taking a shot. I just don't understand why not throw that ball to the outside and not more on the inside because it was kind of an easy read, I mean, for the safety that's coming over the top, especially, you know, it was like Dante was looking back over, you know, his inside shoulder. I think if the ball was thrown to the sidelines that maybe he could not make that ball or make that, that uh, play or if you see that, if you see that, you know, the, it looked like he didn't see the safety, but I, I think he saw the safety. So, and I do understand the ball is wet, but you got to get a little bit, little bit more air underneath it. So it goes over the safety. And I, I think after that double move, Dante was actually open. So if you, if you put the ball on the outside and put some air on it, 
it's a touchdown. So, you know, that I mean, I don't know if, if, if you blame the route or if it's the call. I don't I don't mind, you know, taking that shot like that. The return was was a little more harmful than actual pick. But then when you got a defense that's playing the way this defense is, I think you get a little bit confident. You get a little bit cocky because you know your defense is gonna is gonna gonna withstand it. And it and it felt like even though it was nine points, I kind of felt like after three points, I was like, the Redskins aren't gonna score. I mean, they're not gonna score against this defense. And I think maybe you feel that on the sidelines a little bit, even though the game was nine to nothing and Robbie missed another field goal, I think, I, I just felt like the Washington Redskins wasn't, they were going to score a, a, a touchdown anyway, not even a field goal. So, you know, I think you kind of feel that confidence on the sidelines, and you, you know, maybe take a shot, take a chance once in a while. Uh, I agree with you, Dennis. I think that's a good point. I think that sometimes, you know, the, the common saying is like oh well punt and trust your defense but sometimes it requires even more trust in your defense to go for it because there's a chance you're not going to make it and that puts your defense in a worse spot but I thought that might have been behind the 49ers thought process and going for that fourth down they said hey, you know this today is a tough day offensively to do anything I think Kyle Shanahan fully embraced the possibility that they may not make it they obviously didn't it obviously turned into a problem when Washington started running that pick back far into I what close to 49ers territory. I think they ran it back to the Washington 47. But what happened immediately after? Three plays, negative four yards. The 49ers defense absolutely held at, at a juncture of the game where, where things could have gone south quickly. So they pushed Washington back. They got the ball back. And then from that point on, the 49ers offense was productive. They moved to a little bit more of an up-tempo game. They marched down the field. It was eight plays, 67 yards. I believe the big Richie James catch that Matt uh, referred to was on that drive, and they set up the Robbie Gold field goal. Then uh, Julian Taylor recovered the fumble that uh, Quan Alexander forced, and the 49ers drove again. 12 plays, 55 yards for another field goal. And then there was one final drive, 11 plays, 56 yards for the third field goal, and they won 9-0. So as soon as they went up tempo, as soon as Garoppolo uh, – you know, got that interception out of his system. He was essentially perfect, like I said, eight of eight, and uh, he was working downfield. The play action was lethally efficient, and and you have to credit the 49ers for finding that second gear later in the game. And and Matt, the, I, I think that probably was really impressive to see in person because I know that when the play action is clicking with Kyle Shanahan, um, it, it is a thing of beauty to behold when you're actually at the game because you see those wide open spaces start to really play in the 49ers' favor as they did. For example, on the James play and on the Kendrick Bourne big catch. Yeah, I mean, the Garoppolo had time on, on both of those plays, and that was the difference in this game. When you when you give him time, he's usually able to find somebody, and it was uh, over the middle of the field. And I got to think that George Kittle helped in, in those plays as well because he was just attracting. Uh, I don't know if it was uh, more than he usually sees, but uh, the Redskins' defense seemed to be very focused on George Kittle and he still came away with a, a, a good game, uh, three catches, 38 yards, um, some, some really key ones, too, on third downs and whatnot. But uh, I feel like uh, he took some of the attention away from the other guys. And you mentioned that Quan Alexander forced fumble. To me, that was the play of the game. I mean, this was a game that was going to ride one way or the, uh, another on a takeaway uh, by one of those teams. I'm, I'm actually surprised there weren't more uh, fumbles and turnovers in this game. That was the only one for uh, for the 49ers. But it came at a key moment 
And uh, the 49ers took that 12 plays and, and scored uh, another field goal. And to me, that was it. I felt like, you know, the vagaries of chance could keep the, the Redskins in the game if it was just 3 nothing. But uh, once they got up 6 nothing, and then 9 nothing, wow, that was uh, way too uh, big a differential to overcome. So I felt like the, the Alexander forced fumble, and he's been that way all, all year. I mean, uh, you know, whether it's... Uh, Sort of emotionally uh, bringing uh, support to the team, and on uh, on Sunday physically doing that. That was uh, the turning point for me. And, and, and for me, is coming out the second half, and and the 49ers do such a great job of of ball possession. Um, the third quarters, they just rule. I mean, I think they had the ball the entire third quarter, uh, and then in the fourth quarter, getting the ball back with like seven minutes left on the clock and running a six-minute offense and just taking the clock down to nothing. Uh, to me, the second half, the ball possession, the ball control was definitely the turning game for me. And then, of course, the defense, the defensive line. I mean, we talk about the defensive line so much that we we can't talk about it anymore. But, I mean, those guys, they come out and play. Eric Armstead, and we do a lot of – we do a lot of uh, D4 talk. We do a lot of DeForest talk. We do a lot of Bosa talk. We got to start talking about this kid, Eric, Eric Armstead, because he's becoming quite the football player. Armstead was, in fact, really good. I mean, he's in the backfield, it seems, all the time. You look at his stat line, two tackles, or no, three combined tackles, a sack. Uh, it was a nine-yard sack. I remember that. That was a big one. A quarterback hit and a tackle for loss. So, it, I mean, it, it's a nice stat line. It, it doesn't match up to Bosa's, which was monstrous today. Seven tackles, four tackles for loss. And a, and a sack and a hit, but Armstead is there on every play. I think it's one of those where when the pressure stats start coming out later this week, he's really going to show up this week. You know, the the simple box score doesn't begin to say all that Eric Armstead has done. I mean, Dennis, you've talked about it on the podcast earlier episodes. Uh, he, he's found a way to really leverage that massive, really strong frame and, and, you know, play with a newfound sense of aggressiveness this year. And, and I think that translated to the whole 49ers defense. I mean, and you talk about the aggressiveness and the ability to just win the arm wrestling match. Well, Washington only had 14 offensive snaps throughout the whole second half. So you're absolutely right. They, they virtually didn't have the ball in the second half. 49ers didn't allow them to do anything. And because of that, for me, the turning point in this game came much sooner, guys. It came after Washington's first drive. Because as Dennis was saying earlier, they were actually able to run the ball and they did it you know, in a very powerful way behind a big back and Adrian Peterson on the first drive before they missed the field goal. The 49ers made an adjustment that Matt actually called in his writing this week. So we got to give credit to Matt for this. Julian Taylor, the only player available for the 49ers who weighed over 300 pounds, the guy who's put on over 30 pounds of strength this offseason, came into the game for the second drive and boom, from the very first snap, he pushed the center right back with that strength that, that strength the 49ers have believed in ever, ever since they drafted Taylor in the seventh round a couple years ago. And he, I mean, pushing the center back on that play allowed Quan Alexander's blitz to work, and it allowed Nick Bosa to get a tackle for loss. And, and Washington was not able to run after that. Like, it, it was, that one adjustment changed the tone of the football game. And, hey, if Washington can't score, and, and they didn't come close to scoring after that adjustment was made, the 49ers were going to win this game at some point, right? So, Matt, I thought that was the turning point in this game, was when Julian Taylor stepped up there and pushed the line back on the second drive. 
Yeah, the the Redskins were trying to be very uh, intimidating early in that game, and I remember watching uh, Brandon Scherf, who's probably their best uh, offensive lineman. He was getting up in the face of uh, Solomon Thomas and some of the other defensive linemen uh, on that first drive. And then uh, on the second drive, um, uh, Julian Taylor comes in, and I was watching Taylor very closely because uh, I'm interested in him. I think he's an interesting guy, hasn't gotten a lot of play, but uh, he's one of the few guys on that defense, one of two guys on that defense who are over 300 pounds, and he's got length to him, and he plays on the inside, and he's six foot five. Anyway, he's sort of a different cat, uh, which makes him interesting. And I was watching him go up against Scherf, and he was blowing him backwards. I mean, he was taking those long arms and pressing off with his legs, and he was uh, gaining ground in a very physical uh, grudge match with a very good uh, interior lineman in the NFL. Um, and uh, I think that's what they ha- what, what has the, the 49ers excited about him. Uh, played defensive end last year, playing exclusively on the inside this year. Have, has been having trouble finding playing time because they're so talented up and down the line, but he's somebody that they're definitely looking forward to, to seeing in the future and just really kind of uh, speaks to the depth of this defensive line and to this defense. The guy's been uh, a healthy scratch uh, for four games this year and all of a sudden really has a, a remarkable outing uh, in, a, in a sloppy game. And uh, I was wondering, Dennis, whether you – uh, saw the same thing, whether number 77 caught your eye today. Well, you know, Julian is interesting because he's a big guy and he kind of plays standing up. I mean, he's he, like you said, he's about a 6'5", and he stands up a lot, but he's got tremendous strength. And, you know, we're not talking about that fourth down when he just kind of penetrated uh, through that middle of the field or middle of the line there and made that tackle for a loss and stopped that fourth down try. And it was like fourth and one. So he's a guy that, you know, he could probably start for maybe 10 NFL teams. And, you know, he came in today and uh, did really well. And also Sheldon Day. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, those first, that first series, uh, Washington was kind of picking on Solomon Thomas. I mean, right there in the middle, they were doing a lot of rub blocks, a lot of reach blocks. They trapped him once. uh, And they were getting a lot of yards running right over him. And then they put in Sheldon Day and then, Julian or Taylor. So, you know, they've got the depth. I think they need to get him involved a little bit more because he's a guy that's got a quick first step. He's strong as a freaking ox and he can make plays in the backfield. You know, it was a great example. I was talking to John Lynch on Friday before the 49ers flew out to Washington. And, you know, his point was that the 49ers made that great adjustment against the Rams to stop the run game. And it almost kind of foreshadowed what happened in this game. And he said, you know, yeah, Saul is doing a great job, but Chris Kasurik, the defensive line coach, and then Joe Woods, the defensive backs coach for the 49ers. Woods is a former defensive coordinator. Uh, Both of these guys are coaching their units at the intellectual level of a coordinator. And it it essentially gives the 49ers three defensive coordinators. If you consider Sala, Kasurik, and Woods coordinators of sorts, and, and Lynch was was saying that uh, the way that Kasurik is operating and subbing guys and making adjustments gives the 49ers a huge leg up in, in these chess matches because he's really on top of the intricacies that you mentioned. Solomon Thomas was struggling on drive one today. So, boom, Julian Taylor comes in and makes a huge play that kind of you know turns the tide of the game. So I think that the 49ers coaching staff deserves some credit here because, the, yes, they do have a lot of depth. They have... 
the firepower on this defensive line, but you also have to use it right. And the, the, the two new guys that they have on the defensive assistant coaching staff, they've been using the, the, the personnel correctly this year. And, and I think that's really big. One final thing that uh, I want to get to, because it was a negative in this game earlier on, at least. Robbie Gold missed another kick. Then he made three, so that was big. He, he was the difference scoring-wise for the 49ers. But, Matt, he's already missed, what, six or seven this year? And um, he's getting his long snapper back. Kyle Nelson's suspension ends. Is that going to turn around this concerning trend for the 49ers? Because the kicks that Gold made today were all short ones. He missed a longer one. And if the 49ers are indeed contenders, which they obviously are, uh, they're going to need their kicker to, to be more reliable down the stretch. If there was anything wrong with a snap today that on, on the kick that uh, Gold missed, I, I didn't see it. But maybe I did. I mean, um, or maybe I missed it. My, my point is that it's so precise, and um, somebody like Robbie Gold has been in the league for, what, 14 years, is so uh, you know fine-tuned that um, a half-a-mile-per-hour difference in snaps could be affecting him. It seemed like he just kind of overstepped that ball and— uh, it was too too far to the inside of his foot. But, uh, you know, w- once he gets Kyle Nelson back, he's used to him, he likes him, uh, will he settle down and, and hit his rhythm? Um, I'm sure that's what uh, the 49ers are hoping for, that uh, having the, the band back together, so to speak, uh, new holder, but I don't think anything's been wrong with the, the holding so far. Um, they're obviously very, very comfortable with Kyle Nelson. Why else would they have kept him around during a 10-game suspension. I mean, this is a, a long sna- snapper for crying out loud. You don't do that unless you think that the guy is special, uh, and they've done that. And uh, I think it's only a matter of time before um, he's off that suspension is and is reincorporated onto this team. And, um, you know, at that stage, if, uh, if Gold is still struggling then, then uh, we'll have to kind of uh, worry about it. But uh, he, he's got a bit of a, an excuse uh, now that uh, Nelson's been out so far. And I'm an old defensive lineman. I don't get it. Um, you know, I, I, I don't understand how it works to be a kicker, but it seems to me 14 years in the league, if the ball's not getting faster, you speed it up. Um, you take different steps uh, and you kick the ball. But think about the leverage, uh, you know, your, your long snapper has now. You know, you you want your your, your Robbie Gold back. I can bring him back, and so it gives him a little bit of leverage. So, I I, I don't know. I don't. I think it, it may be a little mental at this point right now. But you know, we know that those field goals are going to be important when it gets down the stretch playing the you know the, the Saints or, or 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 the Seahawks here. So it's going to be important to get Robbie Gold back to 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 where he was. I never thought I would hear leverage and long snapper mentioned in the same sentence, but I think Dennis just foreshadowed, you know, we just saw a kicker get the franchise tag and hold out. I hope that we don't see the long snapper hold out. That, that, that would be a new low in contract negotiations. The 49ers would have the highest paid kicker and the highest paid long snapper in the NFL. But, you yeah. know, Robbie made a big deal last year and I wrote the story on him. You know, he was the historic clip and he was getting close to breaking the NFL record for consecutive field goals. His, his thing was, we have the best trio in the NFL. Uh, you know, they had Bradley Pinion doing the holding and Kyle Nelson w- was doing the snapping. And Gold did not understate how big of a deal that was to him. And obviously, two of those three guys 
um, you know, at the, at the long snapper and the holder position were, were different this year. And all of a sudden he's missing a ton of kicks. So um, who knows? But if that doesn't get cleaned up, the 49ers are in trouble because they paid this guy. They dealt with a lot this offseason. And he was so reliable before all of this drama. Uh, it, it is a problem they need to fix. It, it, the problem, they've been able to overcome it so far, but uh, it's something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on as uh, they move forward. It's all about the long snapper now. All about the long snapper. Guys, I've, I've got an update. Uh, my pizza is now totally gone. I've, uh, Uh-oh. Awesome. I've How about the wine? It. Did you did you hear me chewing at all? I, don't, I, I was trying to disguise my chewing and was worried that my microphone would pick up me scarfing down this pizza. Yeah, we heard all of it. Kind of <laughs> Everything. It was gross. Rob, Rob's going to edit it out so we don't hear it. It was the podcast version of mud all over your face, just like Mike Person today. <laughs> pizza. How's, and the hey, how's Jimmy Garoppolo is not the only one with a dirty jersey right now. I got, I got pizza crumbs everywhere. <laughs> well, we weren't allowed to wrap it up until your pizza was done, and hopefully your wine is done. If it's not, then hurry up and chug it. But uh, that's... Uh, that, that that's the wrap for the 49ers win. I think we covered pretty much everything. This there was a lot to talk about. There wasn't supposed to be a lot to talk about entering today, but the rain and the way things happened during this 49ers nine nothing win made it that way. So um, thank you, Matt, for joining us all the way from cross country. It'll be fun to be in the same booth as both of you guys next week after the 49ers play the Panthers, and that's the six and zero 49ers who now have a two game lead in the NFC West in the loss column after Seattle lost to Baltimore today. So. Fun stuff for the 49ers. Anyway, for Matt Barrows and for Dennis Brown, David Lombardi signing off. We'll talk to you guys next time. For more exclusive 49ers content on The Athletic, please visit theathletic.com slash here's the catch.